All right, hey, as we jump in this weekend, I'm gonna ask you to play along right out of the gate, okay? No tricks, I'm not looking to trick you, but here's the question. Have you ever met anyone famous? If you have, I'm gonna ask you, raise your hand and hold it up. Hold it up, hold it up. Look around the room. Look how many people, they've met somebody famous. How long did it take you to tell somebody? How long? You're like, hey, I met this person. So I'm gonna take you way back in time, okay? 1992, the year's 1992. I'm a junior in college, about to be a senior-ish. Um, it's the summer 1992. I'm working as a valet in downtown Des Moines, Iowa at the, at the Marriott, uh, parking cars. Best, best college gig ever. Great job in college, not a great career choice. And so I, I was parking cars, having a great time. And... Um, I learned some valuable life lessons, parking cars. In, in fact, um, one of them that still sticks with me is about judging people by their appearance. And so there was a guy who came in in an old uh, Chevy Impala. And nobody wanted to park the old Chevy Impala because you're a valet for one reason. It's for the tips. People, they're looking for the tips. If you're parking your car, they don't care if you're paying 30 bucks to do it. They want you to give them 10, all right? That's why you park a car. And so this guy pulls in, Chevy and Pal, and everybody's like, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. I'm like, okay, I'll park the guy's car. He asked me to do a favor for him. Hey, I need you to, to go to run this little thing for me or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And uh, he turns around, he gives me this huge tip. And I'm like, whoa. I'm parking every Chevy Impala that ever comes on the lot. I'm doing that. But there's one day in particular, the Des Moines uh, Grand Prix was going on. They don't hold it anymore, but they did in the early 90s. And um, busy, the hotel was busy, and the, 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 the lot there was super busy. And um, I, I needed people to park in a particular place. And so there's this uh, Ford Mustang that comes on the lot. And, and I'm like, okay, hey, I need you to park over here, start motioning to him. And he's like, okay. And so I'm like, I stand right where I want him to park. I'm like, come here, right here. And he guns it, <laughs> spins the tires. I'm like, what? Slams on the brake, stop, one foot from me. And of course, I'm just like, hey, no big deal. No! <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing, idiot? I go straight for the driver's door. Out pops this guy, this guy. Sweetness, Walter Payton. And now you got to know, I grew up a Chicago Bears fan. And, 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 okay, little kids, like, he's a big deal. Like, the biggest deal. If you're a Bears fan, he's the deal of all deals. The biggest deal. It's Walter Payton. I'm like, ah, big smile. Huge smile. All of a sudden, I forgot I was angry. This is Walter Payton. This is amazing. And he's like, hey, hey, man, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, but you should have seen the look on your face. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm like, sweetness, sweetness, all I can say. But how long did it take before I told somebody that story? I told everybody that story. I mean, I almost got my knees taken out by Walter Payton. I didn't even care anymore. It was all about telling about the encounter. I'd had an encounter. And I couldn't wait to tell people about it. This weekend, as we continue in our series, Love Serves, we're going to talk about telling about the encounter. What's it look like for us to be a people who, who encounter Jesus and we can't wait to tell about it? 
What's it look like for us to be a people who, who have an encounter and we're inspired to follow? And that's this weekend's big idea. Encounters with Jesus inspire us to follow. Now, Two Rivers, we use the phrase followers of Jesus interchangeably with Christian. Okay, we're not talking about like a special brand of Christian. That if you are, if you have new life in Christ, you are a follower of Christ. The word in the New Testament is disciple. You are a follower. And there's a reason that we use that because if we just say Christian, our cultures um, seize that word from us. They've taken that, and, and we've kind of done it to ourselves. They've taken that word and they've turned it into something that it isn't. The word is a great word. It just means little Christ, that you're, that you're a little version of Christ. That's a great word because that's what we aspire to be is, is if we were little versions of Jesus, that's the goal. And so when we're just talking about following, here's what we're talking about. And we always have to remind ourselves, it's not following like today. It's not like following somebody on social media. Oh yeah, I know them. I follow them. Do you don't have a clue who they are? That's not following. What we're talking about is becoming like the one you're following. That's the invitation in the New Testament. The invitation to come and follow me is to come and become like me. And so we, we talk about being followers of Jesus because the invitation is that we would come and be a people who are transformed by the power of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Our vision is see is to see the region in which we live saturated with the good news of Jesus. And we've talked about this this year, and we're going to keep talking about it. Why? Because it's our vision that over the next 10 years that we would see the region in which we live saturated by the good news of Jesus. And so this is where we are today. Um, if, if you're going to like, where is Two Rivers currently in the region in which we live? Where is it that we have influence? It, it looks like this. That's the region right now. That's the nine county region. And the blue area is the area where we currently have influence in some way, shape or form. And what you'll see is it kind of goes outside of the county lines. And so when we're talking about a nine county region, we're not going to divide it by county lines. Okay, we're talking about a general area. We're not saying specifically if it crosses a county line, Jesus, we're not going. No, you, you, Lord, that, well, that's the other side of the line. That's Minks County. We don't want to be out there. No, that's not what we're saying. It's just generally. But this is where we are. 24-ish years to get to this place. And over the next 10, we, we long to see our influence cover this area. What it looks like for us to see this area saturated by, by Two Rivers Church and partnerships and, and, and groups. And to see the gospel continue to invade the area. So here's a couple reminders as we jump into Luke 24, where we're going to be today. It's really important as we go through this series called Love Serves that we know that we know that we know this. First of all, the church is God's people. The church is God's people. Okay, that's it. When we're talking about the church, it's God's people. Uh, we're talking about the capital C church. It represents all those who have new life in Christ. Everyone who has life in Christ is part of the global big C church, God's people. It's also important that we would continually remind ourselves that, that, that words condition us over time. And the way we talk about things condition us over time. And so it's really important that we would remind ourselves that only church buildings have walls. Only church building has walls. We're called to be the church in everyday life. Not just on the, on the weekend. Churches in the place we go, we go to church buildings. 
I've shared with you before that, that I try and do that. If, if I'm talking about coming here to this location on Harrison Lane, I'll talk about going to the, the church building. Why? It's a discipline for me. I, I have to remind myself that the church is people. And so here's just some suggestions. I don't know that this is true. I, I just think that there's better language we can use to remind ourselves of this reality. And so when we talk about serving, instead of talking about serving inside and outside walls, maybe we should be talking about serving within the family and outside the family. What's it look like for us to serve within the family? And what's it like, like for us to serve outside the family? And so how many of you, you have a person in your world in your family, that it's time to clean up. You just ate dinner, it's time to clean up, it's time to do the dishes or at least load the dishwasher and this person disappears to the bathroom. <laughs> you, you know that person, maybe you are that person, maybe you were that person, nobody, want, nobody, nobody likes that person. It's like join in, you're part of a family. And so when we're talking about, about serving each other within the body of Christ, somehow that has got like this negative stigma that that's somehow less than serving outside the family and reaching people with the gospel. It is not less than, it's required. Serving each other within the body, that's not like an option. It's not like whether or not you get cruise control on your next car. Like that's a given. If you're connected within a family, you're going to serve each other. It's what you're going to do, right? And so, so it's not less than. It's not more than. It's assumed. Or maybe we need to talk about we serve inside the body of Christ and we serve in the community. And so Paul uses the metaphor, the body. And he uses it in multiple letters as he talks about the family of faith. He talks about the, the followers of Christ being a body. And he actually says that if you're a foot out there on your own, that's weird. If people see a foot detached from a body, that's called gross. That's disgusting. And yet we have this idea that somehow I, I don't need to be attached to the body. It's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. What? I, I, I don't need the church. I hate the church. No, it's the body of Christ. You can't say I love Jesus. I say this all the time. You can't say I love Jesus and I hate the church. And we have young people doing it today. Because we haven't trained them to go, that's, you can't. You can't say I love Jesus, but I hate the people who follow him. That's, it's crazy. And yet somehow we have this idea that that's, oh yeah, that's, you know. No, the church is God's idea. So, so as we talk about this, it's important that we remember that it's not an option to serve inside and outside the family. It's what we do. It's what we do. It's who we are. So as we jump in to, to Luke 24, we're going to be talking about enco encounters with Jesus inspire us to follow. It's important that you know the context here is it's post-resurrection, that, that Easter's happened. I know Easter's a month away, and we'll get there, and we're going to talk about something else on Easter. But we're, over the next two weeks, we're going to be here in Luke 24 talking about these encounters that Jesus had, that, that in Luke 24, we see that it's just after the resurrection and there's a couple people, they're, they're on their way from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. So in Luke 24, picking up in verse 13, it says, that very day, two of them, two of who? Two of the followers, two of the followers of Jesus. We're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. If you highlight or underline, I'm going to give you some verses along the way to highlight. And this is one of them. Their eyes here are overpowered. It's an act of God that keeps them from recognizing Jesus at this point. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So again, if you highlight, highlight verse, the beginning of verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. It means like he's dead, dead. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Highlight verse 27. When, when um, they say in Moses, that's the first five books, okay? The first five books are the books of Moses and all the prophets, what they're saying here is in all of scripture. Jesus went back and recounted in all of scripture the things that revealed who he was. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. If you're highlighting, highlight verse 35. They told what happened highlighting the breaking of the bread. And we'll get to that here in a second. So as we jump in here, it's important that we remember that encounters with Jesus are based on truth. Encounters with Jesus are based on truth. Jesus connects everything uh, uh, from the Old Testament that was concerning them. He, he walks them through it. Now, the question becomes like, why did, why did God 
keep them or overpower their eyes so they didn't recognize Jesus? Why didn't he just let them recognize Jesus? And they'd be like, oh, you're alive. This is amazing. Let's go on. So now we get to conjecture because we don't know why. Often, why is a bad question when it comes to the scriptures? Why is why a bad question? Because we don't know why. It's just guesses. But it seems like the point here is that the story would be told that they would have a full understanding through all of scripture that that they would understand not just hey he's alive now let's get to the revolution no he is the one to redeem Israel he is the promised one who's come and he was foretold all the way through the scriptures what they are now is they're now equipped to tell the story they're now equipped to, to share more than they possibly would have been able to share if it's just like hey, well, we were right he is the guy and he's alive The importance of the story also lies in this assertion that Jesus himself began with this approach to scripture where where it's not a choice that we need to have just the New Testament or the Old Testament. I've shared with you before that there is a movement these days that in the days in which we live that we would detach Jesus from the scriptures, that we would get to know Jesus as the Jesus of the gospels. Like if we just understood that the happy Jesus of the gospels, then we could have world peace and everybody would sing Kumbaya and everything would be okay. The problem with that is it seems like Jesus himself says you can't detach Jesus from all of scripture. It's not possible. And while the Old Testament is used and abused and misappropriated by Christians today, it's important that we would understand the whole story of God. Not just the happy Jesus that with the lamb on his shoulder that we think is just going to tell us everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. That's, That's a... Not a real Jesus. <laughs> That's a fictitious Jesus. The Jesus of all of Scripture. It's important that we would understand all of what the, the power of God revealed through Jesus is about. And it, it's from the beginning. We've talked already that, that Jesus, if we're going to talk about God, the creator, he has a name. His name is Jesus. Now, we have to work all our way through Scripture to get there. But Jesus is the creator because he's the word became a man. And, and in the beginning, God created through the word. And then Paul connects it together. says that everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. And so it's important from the very beginning of time that we understand that Jesus is always, always been from the beginning. Now, he wasn't called Jesus. He was called the word. But it's important that we would understand that, that we would have a rock solid understanding. Why? Because our encounters are based in truth. But we don't experience the physical Jesus. It looks different for us today. It may have been simpler for them back then, I don't know, but for us, it looks different. And so we encounter Jesus on the pages of scripture, and then we rely on the Holy Spirit to bring illumination to the truth and to connect the truth to our hearts and trust that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to convict us of sin in order to show us our need for a savior in order that we might exchange our old dead life for new life in Christ. And so we experience an encounter with Jesus by the Holy Spirit within us. This has always been God's plan that he would be our God living within us. And this sounds crazy and creepy. This is gonna hit the video. If they like cut this and put it out on, you know, you put it out on YouTube and somebody on, on national TV looked at it, they'd be like, those people are crazy. 
They believe that the Spirit of God himself indwells them and communicates to them and that they know truth. And then you have to say, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Why? Because we've had an encounter with the risen Savior, Jesus. We know truth. We know hope. We know the God who made us to be in relationship with himself. In fact, right before Jesus is taken prisoner, just a couple days before this, he, he, had, he had told his followers, he's like, hey, listen, this isn't going to make sense to you. I'm just going to give you the piece, pieces that I can give you right now, but it's going to be to your advantage that I go away. In John 16, 7, he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's going to be better because you have me physically, but I'm going to be in you. The Spirit of God himself is going to dwell within you. Yes, you personally and also collectively as God's people. The, the, the temple is going to go away. There's going to be a new temple and it's going to be the people of God. And when we experience this truth in our lives, in our everyday lives, encounters with Jesus inspire us to tell others. And it's like that when we, when we first come to faith, like we experience something new and we're like, wow, this is amazing. As we look here in, in our story, we see that you don't travel at night in the ancient Near East. That's not a thing. You don't do that. But they did. In fact, they told Jesus Hey, you, shouldn't, you should come in and stay with us and keep telling us about stuff. But they're like, hey, we got to tell people. <laughs> we, just, we just met the resurrected Jesus. And so in verse 20, uh, 33, it says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon or has appeared to Peter. And so they come in the room and they're like, hey, guess what? Jesus is risen. And they're like, he's risen indeed. And you're like, I say that every Easter. Guess what, guys? It could be a gal too. Okay, we don't know. This could be a married couple. We don't know. The gender isn't really revealed here. We just know one of them was named Cleopas. So that's all we know. But as they walk in the room, they're like, hey, 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 hey. He's alive. And they're like, we know. Because he told us all this stuff. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, I love this story. Why do I love this story? I love how, how they tell of this encounter with Jesus and the reality that as they see a living, breathing, resurrected Jesus and, and, and they come to this point of going, wow, he, he, as he connected all the stories together, it just, it just so was inside of us that our hearts burned, that we, we had to tell people about that experience. We had to tell people what he had done. And, and we don't know if these two people, if they were there um, at that last Passover feast that Jesus had had, we don't know that they were there. We don't know that they were at the feeding of the 5,000. We don't know if they were there. But what we do know is the 11 people in the room that they went and told, we do know they were there. They were there. They were there and saw Jesus break bread and feed 5,000 people. They were there, more than 5,000, but they were there when Jesus took bread at his final Passover feast and he broke it and said, hey, this bread is now my body broken for you. They were there. 
And so as they tell this story, and they're like, and then he breaks bread, and our eyes are open, and we're like, Jesus. And those, at least those 11 are going, it's Jesus. They saw him. They knew that they knew. Their story brought confirmation that he really is alive. It's just not Peter. Peter's full of himself, right? Peter, who knows what Peter's saying? He could just be making stuff up. Peter's into Peter, it seems, at times. But not these two. Now we really have confirmation. As people, we, we talk about the things that we think other people need to hear. We talk about those kinds of things. What's something like, hey, I've had an incredible experience. I want you to experience it too. I had this really cool thing happen to me. I think it should happen to you too. And we tell people about it. And so in my world, I've had one of those things recently. And so um, it's called sous vide. <laughs> how many of you have heard of sous vide? Real, real participation again? Hey, how many of you have heard of sous vide? You're like, well, what is sous vide? What's this all about? And so as you can see there in the, in the picture, what we're talking about is using an immersion circulator to cook your protein. That's chef speak for cook, cook meat in, in a pan with water uh, in a plastic bag. Now, the first time I had somebody tell me that sous vide was amazing, I did not believe him. I had a friend of mine like, man, I found this thing, sous vide, it's amazing, you should try it. And I'm like, I'm not boiling my meat. Not doing it. It's going to look disgusting and probably taste even worse. So then uh, here's what happens. My wife is like, hey, we really need to start eating in more. We should be like grilling our own chicken. And, and I had allowed the old grill to rust out and never replaced it. Why? I don't like using a grill. Why don't I like using the grill? Because I have fear and anxiety of being the one who walks the plate of chicken on in and you set it down and here comes the question and all guys you know the question that you fear the most is it done <laughs> and yeah I know some of you are like oh yeah if you get a meat thermometer then you're done but I don't know get out the knife cut it in half is it done we don't know is it too pink in the middle is it safe I don't know. You just asked me to put it on the grill. I did, I did all that I knew to do. I did the best that I could do. So I did everything that I could to avoid that. And finally, I'm like, okay, I'm going to cave, all right? We're going to get a grill. But I need to solve this problem. And I remembered this, this sous vide, sous vide. I looked it up. I started doing some research because that's what I do. I do my research and all of a sudden I'm like, this is actually a French cooking technique that is supposed to produce the best meat that you can cook. I'm like, I'm in. So I buy the thing. I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm buying it. And I try it out. And guess what? It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. You, you, you put your meat, you're not actually boiling in water, you put your meat in a vacuum sealed bag and you cook it in water at a constant temperature over time. And so your meat is done at the exact temperature that you want it cooked to. And then you pull it out of the bag, it looks gross. And then you put it on the grill and you sear each side and you take it inside. And you know what your family says? Oh my goodness, this is the best chicken we've ever had. True story. True story. Guess what they asked for now? Can we actually have chicken? Has anybody actually ever wanted chicken? My house, they do. Why? Sous vide. 
So I'm telling Tim Bubar about sous vide. And now you gotta know something about Tim Bubar. Tim Bubar's cheap, okay? <laughs> he's cheap. He's gonna say frugal, I'm gonna say cheap. Tim Bubar's cheap. And so he's like, what, tell me about sous vide. I'm like, here's the kicker. It's not expensive. You don't have to spend a lot of money on one of these things. You just gotta put it in some water and they're not expensive and you just cook your meat. And then, and guess what? Guess what it takes away? It takes away the fear of, is the chicken done? You know, he's like, oh yeah, I know that fear. You're having people over. How do you cook for multiple people? You can have this stuff done for an hour before they come. You just pull it out, put it on the grill, bam, bam. And they're like, you're a chef. And you're like, yes, I am. It's so <laughs> stupid, easy. Anyone can do it. Why do I say that? Because I can. <laughs> Tim is like, I might have to get one of those. But you know what? It's not up to me whether or not he does. It's not up to me. I've shared the good news. I've shared the freedom that you can experience from that question of, is the chicken done? I've given him the keys to the kingdom. I've given him the road to hope. I've pointed him in the right direction. But guess what? It's not up to me whether or not he responds. That's up to Tim. Ask him. As we talk about our encounters with Jesus, guess what? It's not about sous vide. Man, that, the excitement that we have about that, the excitement that we have about, man, I found the keys to the kingdom. I found the author of freedom. I found the one and only one who gives hope. How much more is the good news of eternal life than whether or not you can have the best chicken you ever had? Guess what happened over time? I stopped telling this story about Walter Payton. It was amazing when it happened. But over time, it just kind of faded. In fact, I, I don't know. I may have told that story to my kids. Um, this may be the first time they've ever heard the story. I don't know. It just, just one of those things that faded into the background. You know, I had another encounter once with another famous person. I told about it yesterday with somebody who was talking about going to Nashville. They were like, hey, what's in Nashville? I'm like, well, there's this cool place, Bluebird Cafe. It's kind of unique. In fact, I had an encounter there, Vince Gill. I said, I, I actually ran into Vince Gill in the bathroom. They're like, what? No, I mean like physically ran into him. He was coming in. I was leaving, bumped into him and I walk out and they're like, hey, Vince Gill is here. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Well, how do you know? I just literally ran into him in the bathroom. I couldn't wait to tell about my experience. How much more so as we as people who've encountered Jesus and the new life that he has. And so here's the thing. Sometimes we just, we just think people don't care. People care about my experience. People care about what happened. People care about what, what I have. And so as we think about the gospel, encounters just don't inspire us to tell others. They also inspire us to serve others. It's one thing for me just to tell somebody about the good news, but it's also somebody, something else for me to show them about the good news, to be a person who demonstrates what it looks like for us to be followers of Jesus who are being transformed by him. And, and Two Rivers, if we're going to be a church that sees the gospel invade the region in which we live, it's going to be because we're a, we're a people who are bought into serving others out of our encounters. 
as we encounter Jesus, that we're, we're going, okay, out of the overflow of that encounter, I can now enter in and I can serve those inside and outside the body of Christ. I can love people who are unlovable. Why? Because I am loved. And as I experience that in my encounter with Jesus, then I can pass that along to others. Paul wrote a letter to a, a pastor by the name of Titus, and he, and he concludes it with this. He says, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so I think in, in evangelicalism, what we've done is we've been so afraid that people would think that they could earn their way to salvation by the stuff that they do, that we've disconnected the stuff that we do from the gospel. And Paul doesn't do it. James doesn't do it. Hey, because you have new life, it's just we get them in the right order. Because you have new life, God has saved you so that you could do the stuff that he's prepared for you to do. Why? That you could let your light shine, the light of Christ in you before people. That's what it means to follow what we say and what we do. Followers are transformed in the way they think so that we're transformed in what we say and what we do, the stories we tell. So what can you do to create this space to encounter Jesus? This week's next steps are ultra practical, okay? Ultra practical. There, there's, there's real things that you can do on, on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a, a, a biannual basis, I guess, that, that you can put yourself in God's way. One of the things that we do uh, as a church is twice a year, we do something called quiet waters. What's that about? It's about putting yourself in the, in the way of Jesus. It's about an encounter. And um, I call these summit experiences. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's people experience summit kind of experiences. And summit experiences have gotten a bad rap. Because people think, well, I go to the summit and then I come back to daily life and I don't experience in daily life what I experienced at the summit when I met with God in that thing. And so I guess I'm just not going to meet with God in the summit. I'll be like, that's no. The thing about setting apart particular time is that, that we have an encounter and, and then that, that shows us that, yeah, this could be in my daily life. I could do this weekly through how I approach my weekly worship. yes. But I can't live personally in a continuous summit experience. That would be exhausting. And yet I'm so grateful to be part of a church that sets apart particular time to put ourselves in God's way, that we might seek him together, that we might be a people who, who seek the face of God together. And then weekly, what's it look like for us to gather together? It's why we gather together in worship and it's why we're connected in groups. It's the reason we do group sign up is so that people would be connected with other people to put themselves in the way that they might encounter Jesus. How? They might encounter Jesus personally, but also with others as they follow Jesus together. We do something called live it out. We do, it's in your handout every week in your bulletin. What's that about? It's about a daily opportunity for you to put yourself in Jesus's way that you could have an encounter. There's an opportunity for you to serve others. If you go to 2rc.tv serve, this is an opportunity for you to sign up within the family. And then you can also go to 2rc, I mean, to, 
2rc.tv slash serve. And then you can also go to 2rc.tv slash love serves. And that's where you can sign up to be like, okay, we're going to serve in the community. Now, if you're like, you know what? I can't do physical projects. There's going to be projects on our campuses that day that are about making things that'll go to people outside. And so there's really something, no matter where you find yourself, your level of physical activity or able to participate, there's really something for everyone. But this is it. Today's it, man. We, we, we need to know whether or not you're going to participate. And so we're going to ask you, don't wait. There's, there's not going to be an opportunity next weekend. There's always an opportunity to go to your neighbor's house and walk through your neighborhood and serve people by praying for them. Not maybe personally, but as you walk in front of their house, there's always that kind of opportunity. But for us to do something together today, as we head through this weekend, it's our last opportunity to say, hey, I'm in. What we're going to do now, though, no matter what campus, what venue you're in, what we're going to do is we're going to worship. The Jesus that we encounter is worthy of our worship. So no matter where you are, I'm gonna ask you if you would stand with me right now. And I'm gonna pray that the spirit would well up within us and inspire our worship. Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, in these moments, would you fill our hearts so that we can worship in spirit and truth?